Right, welcome everyone to Fazlifts Podcast, episode 35. Today I want to talk about training. So I'm going to talk about practical and research-based applications for training, specifically for muscle growth, okay, muscle hypertrophy. Now I'm going to cover uh, frequency, so how often you should hit a body part, intensity, how hard, volume, how much, and there'll also be some honorable mentions for various concepts of come up over the years things like training to failure effective reps stuff like that but firstly i want to discuss how to interpret research how to interpret research so when a new piece of research comes out we tend to see a lot of discussion on social media these days so a notable example is the 45 set study by schoenfeld recently now that study was just so far removed from the body of research that a lot of people, it, it, it caused quite a lot of um, controversy. Now, from my opinion, from a research perspective, one piece of research doesn't really mean anything. One piece of research is more of a curiosity. It's more of a gateway to other pieces of research exploring the concept. There is no sort of bottom line mic drop moment in research. There isn't one piece of research will only add to the body of research and must be taken so. So there's literally zero point in trying to leapfrog from one piece of research to another, to another, to another. Look at the summary of the research. No piece of research is perfect, particularly in fitness. Oftentimes we're looking at trained studies versus untrained studies. We're looking at studies which aren't done well. We're looking at studies which are done well. So what can we do? We can look at the general body of information. And that's how to interpret research. And that's not just in fitness, that's in any circles, whatever your research field is, whether it's um, molecular biology or whether it's education or anything. You, you look at the body of research and then base your outcomes on that. Okay, so just that, want to put that proviso out the way. So you're not, going to hear, you're not going to hear me discussing a lot of these outlier pieces of research. And wherever I can, I try to discuss meta-analysis. Meta-analyses are... Uh, studies which look at a broad range of other studies and try to find the average outcomes. So bear that in mind. And I'm also going to provide you with my own practical experience on all these topics. So first of all, let's look at frequency. Now we're going to start with a piece by Schoenfeld in 2016, and this was a meta-analysis, the effects of resistance training frequency on measures of muscle hypertrophy. Now, given everything, uh, every study that they uh, looked at, they found that the mean average best frequency on balance, looking at the research, was about twice a week. That seemed to be the best. Now, looking at the research, there wasn't a massive difference between twice a week compared to once a week or compared to three days a week. There wasn't a huge range. So we can be fairly certain at this point, twice a week provides a slight benefit. Does that mean a typical bro split training once a week is wrong? Absolutely not doesn't once a week provided good gains and then now we can move into the more practical application so what have i seen personally i've personally found twice a week training to work very very well however what i have found in on balance on occasion where perhaps i've got a trainee who's less advanced let's say they're just starting out three times a week training in that case tends to work out rather well or let's say I've got a trainee who just prefers once-a-week training or is very, very advanced, lifting very, very heavy weights. Occasionally for those type of lifters, 
once a week training also works quite well because it gives their systemic recovery more of a chance to recover for systemic uh, sort of fatigue levels more of a chance to recover for the next session so let's say you've got a guy who's really really strong like a you know whatever 400 pound bencher 500 pound squatter 600 pound deadlifter you know we're getting up there that and let's say that person likes to train particularly heavy likes to train particularly close to failure they're not going to be doing that type of training twice a week it's just not going to happen and let's say that person is also a little bit um, loose with their training form which then puts exaggerated strain on tendons ligaments and just puts just means they have to um, use either less volume or less frequency just to be able to recover week to week. It's those kind of people who will typically say, hey, I couldn't hit a bustle group more than once a week. And that's fine. That's, that's great. So if that's how they like to train once a week is, is fine. It's not going to offer much less benefits. And for them, it may well allow them to recover the tendons, the ligaments, all that kind of stuff better than training twice a week because of their style of training. So there are a couple of notable exceptions that I've seen in terms of just practicalities. And if we look at another one here, this was also by Schoenfeld, but this is more recent, 2019, so midway through last year. How many times per week should a muscle be trained to maximize muscle hypertrophy? In this one, Schoenfeld updated his reviews, updated his views, and he also did this with Krieger. And he said, again, there wasn't a massive amount of difference between one to three plus days a week. So in conclusion, and as I found from my own practical experience, it was just a case of there's no meaningful difference. Choose it based on personal experience, personal preference. And um, as just stated, your personal preference may well be how you like to, how often you like to hit your your, uh, your body parts in the gym, but also how you like to train. And also it could be your advancement level. So if you're a beginner, if you're not very advanced, it could be something like three days a week. If you're getting to be more advanced, it could be twice a week. If you just so happen to be extremely strong um, and you like to train to failure, that maybe it'll be once a week, which describes quite a few people I know. Um, it may well be once a week. So there we go. So in summary, for frequency, I would say there isn't a great deal of difference between one to three. And for the most part, it comes down to how you like to train. Now, to that note, um, we will discuss this more later, but it does show very much that all of these frequencies, all of these different training styles under the umbrella of different training styles that people sort of get really, um, uh, they, they become really attached to, you know, uh, it, it, a lot of things work. It's really how you prefer to train, how, how it fits within your entire lifestyle and, your, and the type of trainer you are. Okay, so let's move on to training. Let's move on to training intensity. Now, this is an interesting one. How hard should you work? Now, from this study here, which is Jenkins et al. 2016, neuromuscular adaptations after two and four weeks of 80% versus 30% one repetition maximum resistance training to failure. So this seems to suggest in terms of muscle growth, there wasn't a great deal of difference between training to failure at 80% of your one rep max compared to 30% of your one rep max. That sounds a little bit crazy, but I think we can also take some things from this. So what, let's just explore that a little bit further. What that's saying is as long as you train to failure, the loads that you use can be as low as 30%. Some of you out there might be going, well, that's just nuts. Like this is just laboratory nonsense. Fair enough. 
But notice the key provisor there, train to failure. Now, trading to failure with 80% is practically fairly easy to do. So you get to say eight reps, get to say 12 reps, you try for the next rep, it doesn't go up, you fail, fine. Now you try training to failure with 30%, what's failing? What exactly is failing at that stage? It's very easy to keep pushing at 30%. You can, you, I mean, at 30%, let's say your one rep max in the bench press is 100 kilos. You put 30 kilos onto the bar, you can just like muscle up 30% for a long time. Try it. You know, the, your reps may well go right up into the 50 reps, 60 reps, 70 reps. It's very difficult to fail at 30%. So true failure to 30% is not something you see happen a lot. So that, I think, can confound these results. Like, it's not a practical way to train. So it's an interesting study which suggests, which compares strictly 80% versus 30%. But I think in practicalities, very few people are training at 30% and actually getting reasonable, meaningful gains. So it does have some useful application for perhaps those who are injured. But in general... What we have seen from the majority of the research is roughly 80%, I would say anything over 65% is going to work. Now, the next mention, honorable mention here at this stage is training to failure. Do you need to train to failure? Now, this is going to be mostly, um, well, we can talk a little bit on the research here. The research, however, on training to failure tends to be a little bit cloudy, and that's why I've not included any specific studies to talk about that specifically because it it would be it wouldn't be unreasonable to suggest that training to failure is something that you need to do when you're advanced because you need to provide a stimulus that the body isn't used to or and generally a very high level stimulus so when you're well trained it takes quite a lot to then get further gains it takes quite a lot naturally like if you're very well trained if you've been training for 20 years your body's in a state of i've you know of thinking well i've done x y and z i've done so much um with regards to training i'm going to need quite a lot to actually grow further let's say you're very strong let's say you're you're 220 lean so you've got 220 uh, 220 pounds body weight uh, on stage so that's a big guy um 200 pounds lean shredded on stage that's a big guy at that stage, you're probably going to need some unusual stress to grow further. Now, none of the studies are ever done on people who are that strong or that big. So none of the studies really say that training to failure is necessary. However, we have to have a caveat there that particularly training to failure seems to be something which may or may not have application for those who are far more advanced and are really at those advanced stages. So that's a possibility just because you're going to have to overload on something. Now, that doesn't have to be intensity, by the way. It doesn't have to be trained to failure. It can also be overloading on volume. It can also be overloading on frequency, but it has to be some type of overload there. People tend to have this fascination with failure just because over the years we've had this um, sort of Dorian Yates, Jordan Peters, way before then Mike Menser or um, various other people who've had this focus on training to failure because out of those three things, frequency, intensity and volume for some reason people focused on intensity and said this is what i'm going to overload to then provide my body with the stress necessary for it to grow which is fine 
that's fine. But just bear in mind, that's one of three factors that you could overload on if you're advanced. So that's why it's an honorable mention. In terms of my own practical experience, I think it's absolutely not necessary to train to failure at all. I think you have to overload your muscles somehow. You have to overload via either intensity, volume, and frequency at the stage where you're really advanced. Intensity seems to be a popular one for some reason. That may well be because of the, the size principle. Um, and just to quickly sort of recap on that, size principle is states that as you lift, um, uh, as you lift something of uh, a certain load, let's say it's, it's sort of 80% or so, as you continue to lift that, more and more muscle fibers are recruited and then they drop out and they're recruited and they drop out. Sort of. So by the time you've lifted to absolute failure, it's theorized that you have exhausted all of those muscle fibers. So that's a possible, you know, caveat there. Now, does it have to be training to failure? Not necessarily. It could be volume. It could be frequency. Frequency has its own problems because then you get into ligament issues, joint issues. But then you could also say that for intensity as well, training to failure, volume has its own issues. But for whatever reason, people seem to be fixated on training to failure as this golden fleece of muscle growth at, inter at higher and advanced levels. I remain to be convinced that's true. I've been at my biggest when I've not trained to failure. I, I, I don't think there's any value in it personally. Um, I'd also say that for a lot of those people who seem to place this uh, place training to failure on this mantle as the only way to do things, a lot of them that I've seen in person or um, wherever, they, they don't tend to value execution. Now, one guy who's very good with this is Matt Janssen. He's a, an American coach. I believe he's American or Canadian. Um, he's, he's a coach um, in, in North America somewhere. Uh, I believe so anyway. But anyway, Matt Janssen, very, very famous coach. He has his guys trained to failure, but also had places a great premium on execution. I don't see a lot of guys in person doing that. They love the training to failure, but they also love cheating the hell out of their reps as well, which I think then lends itself to these things which I'm talking about, which is injuries which occur. The same guys are getting pec strains and uh, shoulder strains and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to train to failure, sure, but as it's often combined with looser form, I would then be very, very careful of that. But again, all of these criticisms could be said for frequency and volume as well. And just going back to that same point that I keep hammering home, at the advanced level, you're going to have to overload on something. You're, gonna, you're just going to have to. You're going to have to overload on something. To get bigger and bigger, you're going to have to overload on something. Something is going to have to be overloaded on. It's going to be frequency, intensity, or, or volume. But I, what I want to just state is it doesn't have to be trained to failure. And if it is, don't then exacerbate the potential dangers by using looser form. That's going to lead to issues. Because generally, those people who train with a high intensity tend to train with a lower volume. So heavyweights um, tend to be uh, an issue if you start to swing them around. I mean, even the most one of the most robust men on the planet, Dorian Yates, found that out because by the end of his career, he was he essentially had no left arm. I mean, he both too tall, both the bicep and the tricep tendon at that stage. So, you know, people who aren't yet strong enough to cause themselves damage or are robust enough to keep lifting or young enough to keep lifting without injury, they can say, well, it's, you know, train to failure, get a little bit loose with form, but just be wary. 
to get to your upper limits of strength and upper limits of size, you may not need to be sloppy when training to failure. And it may well behoove you to actually focus on execution. Train a failure if you want to, sure, but just focus on execution. Okay, spent quite a lot of time on intensity, but hopefully the point is made. Just to summarize my own um, feelings on that then, just quickly before we move on to volume. Regard the intensity, I think you have to train at over 65%. I would say roughly 80% is about right in terms of load compared to your one rep max. I don't believe you have to train to failure. I do believe you have to train hard. I do. And I think it's not acceptable for form to break down. And there is a notable exception with regards to train to failure, which I'll talk about later on. Okay, now we're going to move on to volume. This is the big one that really gets everybody talking quite a lot. And I'm going to go right back to the Wormbomb meta-analysis 2007, which I thought was a great piece of work. And it was really one of the first pieces of um, work that looked at a large range of hypertrophy research. We didn't have much back in 2007. And it gave us some very good practical applications. I'm not going to even touch on the Schoenfeld 45 set um, study for the reasons that I outlined at the beginning. It's too much of an outlier to be talked about, and that's not how we interpret research. The Wormbaum meta-analysis actually looked at reps per week, which I think was actually a very sensible way of looking at things. So Wormbaum recommended between 40 to 70 repetitions twice a week was optimal. Now, looking at that, if we're doing sets of, say, 10, that's anywhere between four to seven sets of, ten, of um of 10 and you do that twice a week so we're looking at 8 to 14 sets that's pretty good yeah uh, if you're going slightly uh, heavier do slightly lower reps you might have 10 to 16 sets if you're having a mix of whatever it's generally we're generally looking at about 10 to 18 sets which i think most people would agree is a fairly good number it's fairly moderate it's not too low and it's certainly not too high and you can be anywhere within that range. Wormbaum also made the case for expanding the number of sets as you progress. So starting with a lower amount of sets and then moving up. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, from there, I want to move to the Barbalo study, which I thought was awesome. People always say Barbalo, but tend to miss out Fisher and Steel. <coughs> Excuse me. Cough. People always mention Bob Hallow, but, but fail to mention Fisher and Steele, who are two British-based researchers who've done some excellent research on lower volumes and higher intensities. <laughs> it's no surprise that the low-volume, high-intensity crowd is coming from uh, the UK. A uh, bit of a nod to uh, Dorian Yates and his, his training there. So anyway, um, what they found was they had people train, they had women, specifically women, train uh, once per week, and they found that between five to ten sets per week seemed to be sufficient which I thought was really rather good. They tested between 5, 10, and 15. They, and they found that 5 to 10 were really rather good. So I thought that was fantastic because that shows that training even as little as five sets per week can induce growth, um, which I thought was awesome. And they tested a range of different muscles. So it wasn't just the typical triceps and, and quads. They tested a whole bunch of different ones, uh, biceps, triceps, pecs, quads, glutes. Um, they measured the muscle's thickness with ultrasound, and I thought it was awesome. Uh, they also tested um, 
I believe they also tested, here we go, uh, 20 sets per muscle group per session as well. Um, so muscle group, uh, muscle growth was better in the five and 10 sets per week, which I thought was awesome. Now, the if we look back to Wormbaum, Wormbaum said roughly five sets twice a week. Barbalo, Fisher and Steel were saying five to 10 sets once a week. Now, isn't that right about there? We could also think, we could also surmise from this that if we wanted to train twice a week, we could potentially do those five sets once and another five sets in another session, which puts us right back at that 10 sets per week mark. Or we could do 10 sets once per week and then 10 sets the second time per week, putting us at that 20 set mark, which is probably on the higher end threshold. So in terms of the summary, my own summary of this research, I would say something between five something between anywhere as low as five sets per week or something like 10 to 20 sets if you wanted to try and push a little bit further. So there's a massive scope there for what works. What I would, and I would say try and stick within that middle range. So 10 to 15 seems to be about right, I would say. And that matches right along with what Wurmbaum has been saying all along for the last 13 years since he did that meta-analysis in 2007 so we're not looking at really really low volumes like sort of one to two to three sets but certainly five sets seems to be fine so again a nod towards the Dorian Yates style of approach 10 sets per week also seems to be fine we can also potentially surmise potentially think that well at certain levels there may be cause for um, there may be cause for additional stimulus that we need more volume potentially, but I don't know, that's a, that's, a, that's a slippery slope because you could also say, well, actually, the bigger you are, perhaps the more recovery you need too. So it's a slippery slope to try and make these um, logical leaps all the time. So, yep, summary for that, I would say anywhere between five to 15, potentially even as high as 20 would be reasonable. But I think if you're doing much more than 20, you really are gonna have to look at your other factors, your intensity look at your frequency. Perhaps you can cope with 20 sets, perhaps you can cope with 25 sets, but your intensity is really, really lacking. Uh, that's something to, to, to look at. So if you look at, um, yeah, we're gonna do a quick honorable mention here of effective reps. So effective reps is a concept which I think was introduced by Chris Beardsley, who runs an excellent blog where he considers research and looks at, uh, specifically looks at hypertrophy research. Uh, actually, before we move on to effective reps, let me just discuss my own practical experiences of volume and what I have seen in, in clients and seen in myself. As at present, my own personal volume threshold appears to be somewhat, I would say, on the lower side. I'm probably closer to 10. And that, I think, is, is a combination of my own advancement. So I'm relatively strong, relatively speaking. I'm also my age, I'm relatively old, <laughs> probably older than some of my uh, listeners. So I have done as high, over the last two or three years, I have done volume loads as high as 15 to 20. And I've grown very, very well over the last couple of years, as some of you have seen on my Instagram. So I have done volumes up to 20 sets when I was just getting into bodybuilding and I was smaller, coming from my powerlifting days. A lot of the time last year, I was doing something like 15 sets per body part per week. Nowadays, I'm more in that 10 to 12 range, which suits me really, really quite nicely because I can place a little bit more premium intensity 
So as my intensity goes up, my volume goes down a little bit, and I still only really train most muscle groups twice a week. So in terms of what I've seen with other clients, I've definitely seen younger clients starting at about 10 sets, moving up to about 16 to 18, tends to work quite well. Anything over that point, I tend to think is probably a little bit of overkill. So that I would say, again, it right smack bang into what Wormbaum has been saying since 2007. To go back to that study again, which I thought was fantastic, 10 to 16 to 18 sets seems to be about right. And I found his way of looking at repetitions per week to be, to be quite good rather than sets. Okay, so now I want to do a quick honorable mention of effective reps. So effective reps is a principle coined by, I believe it's coined by Chris Beardsley. Um, and essentially what he's saying is the last few reps of each set are the effective reps. Those are the ones that are going to get you your gains. I think that that's potentially quite a slippery road to move down. I know that um, Steel from Fisher and Steel from uh, of Barbalo fame, he's stated similar things. He stated that the reason that higher volumes work so well is actually, and higher reps work so well, it's actually the higher reps and the higher volume kind of set you up for um, the effective volume right at the end of the session. So let's say, for example, you're sitting there and going, well, I do 20 sets per workout, 20 sets per muscle group per week, um, and I do a bro split. Great, fantastic. What Steel and Fisher might suggest is, actually, those first 10 sets that you did were really just setting you up to do the last 10 sets really, really hard. Or let's say you, you say you're sat there going, well, I like sets of 15. Great. He might suggest that, well, actually, the first 10 reps allow the last five to be really, really hard. And that's what gets you the growth. Kind of going back to the whole, you know, what Arnold used to say was the, uh, the last reps are the, uh, the most important ones. Now, while it has a certain romantic sort of feel to it, like, you know, got to get those last few reps, I question that. I, I really do question that. So effectively what he's saying is that there's a sliding scale, but one, how do we quantify that? Two, I think it's erroneous to suggest that the first five to 10 reps of a 15 rep set aren't going to offer anything. I, I, just don't, I just don't believe that. I, just, I don't know if that's, I don't know if we can say that, you know, I just don't know if we can say that. Um, I, I don't believe we can. So I, I'm not certain about that at all. I, I'm not certain. about. I think the effective reps um, concept, it's an interesting one. It's worthy of discussion. But I think ultimately at the moment, it's just a theory. And it's not something I would hang my hat on at all. Uh, because we, we can't. And I, I do think hard sets is probably the best way to look at things. And we know within the confines of hard sets, we know the repetitions in reserve principle is probably the one which is going to give us the most bang for our buck. Repetitions in reserve is how many reps you have left in the tank. Generally, three to one seems to, or three to zero seems to offer the most growth. But that doesn't mean to suggest that the rest of them are not effective. So I don't, I, I, I'm not a fan of effective reps. I think there are too many holes in that discussion. Right, so I've discussed frequency, intensity, volume, and also some honorable mentions of effective reps and training to failure. And what I want to do now is just do a summary of practical applications. So we are saying that this is all past the beginner stage. So as a beginner, you should potentially train perhaps a little more frequently, but this is recommendation. Most of my um, listeners aren't beginners. And I did do a post, uh, a podcast about beginners in my last, the last podcast that I did. So please refer back to that. 
So past the beginner stage, here's what I would be looking at people doing on, on, on balance. Roughly training twice a week for each body part. That's not twice a week total, twice a week for each body part. So let's say, for example, you're training four days a week. It could be an upper lower, upper lower. Great. Let's say you want to really push the boat out and train six days a week. That could be a push-pull legs times two, possibly. Um, I think your total number of sets should be limited to anywhere between 10 to 18. I don't believe it's necessary to go to failure. But if you are going to failure, it then it, it would be sensible to work on the lower end of volume. So perhaps lower down to 10 sets, 10 to 12 sets. And if we look at some of the greats like Dorian, that's pretty much round about where he was, considering the number of exercises he did, the overlap, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I don't consider it necessary to go to failure, but if you are going to do that, then try and work on the lower end of volume. One of the last um, points there is that form breakdown is never acceptable. It's never acceptable to break form to get additional reps. It offers no benefit whatsoever. And I've yet to listen to any arguments to convince me that it is acceptable to let form break down. It, and if there are any arguments, please do forward me those. Please make your case. Um, if you have a sensible case, I'll have you on the podcast too, and we can debate that. Um, what I would say is it makes far more sense from a cost-benefit analysis to, to stop either when your form is beginning to break down or one or two reps before that. That's still hard training. That's still very, very hard training if you truly go to failure. And that's going to be related to my next point. But I would say form breakdown is never acceptable. And it, it, it seems to then, especially at the advanced levels, it seems to expose the client, the, the lifter, to far more uh, of a risk of injury. So if you're straining to get that last row, your back's getting out of position, if you're straining to get that last bench press, if your elbow starts to move out of position, that's when you're going to be prone to shoulder problems, pec tears. That's when things are going to go wrong. It's not worth it. So whatever small benefit you think it's giving you to get an extra one or two reps, it, it would be far better to just put the bar down upon hitting true failure. If, if that's your thing, great, hit failure, fantastic. But don't go past failure to the form point where your form breaks down. There's no good argument to suggest it, that's beneficial. Now, one last thing, as one more notable exception. There are cases where I do get people to purposely train to failure. And those cases are uh, one with beginners to bodybuilding. Oftentimes, after an initial breaking period uh, where they don't train to failure, oftentimes when I'm comfortable and happy with their form, with how they're working the gym, with their lifestyle, all that kind of stuff, I'll get them to do some lower volume and train to failure just so they know where failure is. Uh, I want to tell you an example of this. There's, uh, there were a couple of lads who I helped out sometime last, early last year and uh, they were doing they were doing bicep curls and so I, I showed them how I do bicep curls they, they were asking you know about muscle growth and one training to failure and all that kind of stuff so they they both did a set and I was there watching them and they once they were both they both said they were done and just by encouraging them not by touching the weight but just by encouraging them they both got out an additional seven reps 
Now, they were, they were gobsmacked at how they were able to do seven more reps after they thought they had failed. Bear in mind, I did not touch the weight. All I did was encourage them to go more, do more. I just stood there and I said, you got one more, you got one more. I didn't touch the water. It was all their effort and they did seven more reps after they initially thought they went to failure. So that's somebody who thinks they're going to failure but are actually training seven reps away from failure. So how are they going to know if what what failure is how are they going to know what two reps away from failure is how are they going to know what three reps away from failure you, you ask a guy like that to train three reps away from failure and he's actually training 10 reps away from failure you ask another guy to train three reps away from failure and he'll give you actually three reps away from failure you can see the veins on his, his face the the blood pressure and all that kind of stuff you can see he's really going for it you're like okay this guy actually knows how to train to failure and i know a few people like that but those guys that that wasn't them and so what they found to be quite confusing was you know is that it was they were quite stunned with the realization that that's actually how hard they should be training or how hard they they thought they were training but they were seven reps away from that so in some circumstances with beginners so they understand where failure is that's where i'll get them to trade to failure also if i feel that somebody's been doing high volume training for a while maybe doing high volume training for three or four blocks, I'll pull them back to a low volume protocol, something as low as even as low as six sets per, um, per body part per week uh, after they've been doing maybe three times that at the, at the peak. Um, and that just gives them the space and the mental focus to then actually train to failure so they can see and reconnect with what that is. So that's a useful application, which also brings me to my absolute final point on practical applications. How do I put all this into play with my clients? I believe that there are benefits within reason to all of these protocols. So frequency, go, back to, go right back to the beginning, frequency, one to three times. I believe there are some benefits to rotating frequency. Intensity, train to failure or not train three reps away from failure. Again, I believe there are benefits to rotating those intensities. And volume, again, I believe there are benefits to rotating those volumes. So that's what I implement. Because I don't think it's sensible to sit in your entire career at one volume state, one intensity state, one frequency state, because the whole purpose of training is to provide a novel stimulus for the muscle to then grow. And I think within reasonable reasonable parameters so i'm not suggest i'm i'm definitely not having anybody do 45 sets per week per body part that is madness i'm definitely not having anybody train beyond failure with um forced reps and cheating the bar up and negatives i, I think that is just I, I i just don't think that's practical i just don't think that's a sensible way to train i'm not having anybody train six days a week per body part that again that is not a sensible way to train but within sensible parameters i believe for those clients who are sufficiently motivated which is a lot of my clients, I think there's value in rotating frequency, intensity, and volume, and that is how I set up my mesocycles. So that is the final point that I want to make. So I, hopefully that was useful and provided a good summary of the last 13 to 15 years of research, and hopefully you found it useful. If there are any comments about this, please do let me know. But uh, that was much more of a um, research piece this time compared to more of a sort of a experiential emotional piece last time hopefully you found that useful please do give me some feedback on how you enjoyed it whether it was useful also ideas for 
uh, topics you'd like to see discussed would be uh, very welcome. I do have a series of uh, interviews with various bodybuilders and coaches lined up, um, and that will that will be uh, key pieces throughout the year. So from me, that was episode 35. All the best to everyone.